Could you please stand with me so we can read it together as a congregation? Hebrews chapter 7, starting in 11. Now, if perfection had, had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there, would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, for which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that the Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning, concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness to him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former com commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. You may be seated. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And I humbly ask that you would uh, calm my heart, that you would uh, speak through me, and that we can walk away today, change people, because we encountered you. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. I like to listen to um, a lot of sermons online, and uh, recently I have this I have this creed that I, I only listen to uh, people who have preached for over forty years or dead people because they had a good run, they had a good ministry, um, and one of the guys I like to listen to is Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and he died in like the mid eighties, and his ministry is still going strong. You can listen to him on the radio, uh, or you can pay $35 and get a USB flash drive and get all of his sermons online on the flash drive, which is what I do. And he walks through Scripture, verse by verse, word by word. And when I was listening to Hebrews, a man who served over 40 years faithfully and still has a ministry said that Hebrews is one of his top three scariest passages to preach on. So I turned it off, and I started to pray. Because I do not have a doctorate in theology like J. Vernon McGee. So if you can pray for me this morning, that would be great. So Hebrews chapter 7, verse, starting in verse 11, 
you'll hear the word Melchizedek. And, and Gibson talked about Melchizedek a little bit last week. And you go back and you read in, uh, in Genesis when Melchizedek's name is mentioned. He's mentioned more in the book of Hebrews than he is in the Old Testament. And Melchizedek was the high priest of Jerusalem when, when Abraham um, came through after conquering and beating all these kings. And he, it says that Melchizedek blessed him. And when you read through Melchizedek, you see what he is. So Melchizedek was a high priest. When did the high priest start? I like to ask questions and I love answers. Okay, we're in this together. So when did the high priest start? Anyone? Anybody? The high priest started with Aaron, right? When was Aaron and Abraham? When were they compared to? So you have like way over here. Way over here you have Abraham, right? You have Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then they're in, they're in Egypt for 400 years and then you have the 12 tribes that form out of that and then way over here is Aaron. The first high priest. Wait, is he the first high priest? No, no, we have to go way back over here. Like 500 years. Probably even more than that. To Melchizedek. The high priest. Without any genealogy, without a mom, without a mom or a dad mentioned. Why does it tell you that? Because when you get into some passage of the Old Testament, and it's like reading a phone book. Whew, those are hard passages to get to when you're starting when you're doing your walk through the Bible every year. That is hard to read. I mean, the J's. How many J names are there? Holy cow. Right? But you know what's kind of cool about those? And it's cheating now because we have Google. But if you take all those years and it says Adam's, Adam, this old when he had his sons. And then his sons were this old when they had these guys. And this old. You know, you can trace it out. You can go all the way through. You can find out cool little facts that Methuselah, the oldest man to ever live, died the year of the flood. That God saved him from that. And I was talking to some friends the other day, and things that kind of like, you know, I'm a missionary kid. I've been surrounded by church and church people all my life. But it wasn't until I was like 35 or 36 years old that, that this made sense. That it just went... <clears throat> What? I've heard the story of Noah dozens of times, probably dozens of times every year. And we put it in our nurseries and, oh, look at the cute giraffe hanging out of the ark. But think about it. Moses and his wife and his sons and their, and their wives are the only ones that, that God rescued. What do you think those other ones were doing? You think they were like, oh, First time I've ever seen that water fall from the sky. This is kind of fun. The door's shut. Can you imagine just the pounding on that door? And the young people just bombing up the closest hill they can get to, trying to get to higher land. Because it's just a, it, things you don't think about. Things I never thought about for 35 years. So back to Melchizedek. That was a side note, sorry. So Melchizedek is mentioning he's the first high priest. He doesn't have any genealogy. We don't know anything about him. And that's kind of weird for the, for the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, it's all about who, you, who you're related to. Who you're related to. And they go back generations and generations. 
But in verse 15, sorry, it says, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. Who are they talking about who rises in the likeness of Melchizedek? Right, like Seth said, the answer is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Right? It's gray, it's fl- it has a fluffy tail, it stores nuts in its mouth. Mm, it sounds like a squirrel, but it's Jesus. That's a good joke. So they're comparing Melchizedek to Jesus. Is he actually Jesus? Eh. Some say, some say he's an example, a likeness, a, a, a comparison of Jesus, and some say, yes, he is. I'm, I'm like right here in the middle. I'm going to take a firm stand on. Because eh. one of my favorite things to look at in Scripture is, is a word they call a Christophany, which you go into the Old Testament, and, and, and it's, uh, it's Jesus showing up on the scene before he was born in the manger. That blows my mind. It blows my mind until you read John chapter 1, when he says, the Word became flesh. And who is the Word? Jesus. So where do you find Jesus in this book? On every page. That that blows my mind. So back to Melchizedek, and, the, and, and he goes through the Old Testament. And why was the law written? What is one of the main reasons the law was written? The law of Moses. To show our sin. To show, to show me that I can't do it. I'm not that good. How do you know you're speeding? Because there's a law that says 55 miles an hour. How do you know you're speeding if there's no law? How do you know you fall short if there's no law? So the law in the Old Testament points, continually points, you need a Savior. You need a Savior. Can't do it. Can't do it. No matter how type A you are, and such a rule follower, which that's not me, by the way. Not a rule follower. I played soccer all through, all the way up through college. And the rules were always gray to me. How much could I get away with? That was mine. That's how I played soccer. That's how I played. And I always found out when I, once I got that yellow card, I went, ooh, that was too far? Okay, I'll back up. Too far. That's what the law is. It shows you your need for a Savior. It shows you your imperfection. It shows you your sin. And then it talks about, if you go and look up how many high priests there were, hundreds Hundreds of high priests. Hundreds. Why? Because men die. And why do men die? Sin. But there are a couple things that Jesus does. There's five things that Jesus does. In Leviticus chapter 1, it talks about blood sacrifices. And there's three different, kind, three different types in Leviticus chapter 1. There's bulls, there's sheep and goats, and there's doves. And every time, it talk, at the end of the, where it talks about bulls, and then, and then there's a section where it talks about the other two, at the end of each section, it says that that burnt offering is a pleasing aroma to God. But see, Jesus took away that. Did the Jews sacrifice? Is there a need for a blood sacrifice anymore? No. Because Jesus paid it all.
Jesus is enough. And if you walk away from anything today, those three words, those three words, Jesus is enough. So blood sacrifices, he scraps that off the board. We don't need that one anymore. We don't need that one anymore. High priests, is there a need for a high priest anymore? Exactly. He's still here. He is the last high priest because he doesn't die. Jesus is enough. The physical temple, do we have to go? The Jews used to have to make a pilgrimage all the time to go to the temple to make these sacrifices to worship. Do we have to go to the temple to worship? No. Because he is with us wherever we go. Why? Because Jesus is enough. And one of my favorites is the food law that the Jews separated themselves from the rest of the nations. And they, they had to eat these certain foods so that they would be remain clean. Right? They weren't allowed to... Crazy. You, ever the, you ever read the laws of Moses? There's some crazy things said in there. You can't cook a calf in its own mother's milk. And, but I don't get it. Probably because I'm not Jewish. But they got it. And to separate themselves, to follow, to follow these laws. But Jesus said in Mark, in Mark chapter 7, that from the, what, what you take on the outside, to, it, it doesn't defile you on the inside. So you can eat bacon. And it's good. Right? You can have some shrimp scampi. I won't go off, sorry. But those things don't defile us anymore. Jesus made it okay. And one of the other things the Levitical law did was it separated the Jews. Because you know the, the whole argument in the Gospels and, the, and, in, and well, really in Acts, where Jews who are following Christian or are following Christ now are saying, well, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to do this and you have to do that and you have to do that. And Paul reminds them and goes, whoa, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. Jesus is enough. Jesus didn't come just for the Jews. He came for the Gentiles too, and the Samaritans, and everyone. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Let's turn there real quick. This is when Jesus is, is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to its eternal life. I was talking to Kirsten about this last night. And to think about, you have to go get water every day. Every day. Because if you didn't, then that day you couldn't cook. You couldn't hydrate yourself properly. You couldn't water. You couldn't give your animals something to drink. You had to go every single day. And it didn't matter if you weren't feeling well. If you were out in the field and you hurt yourself. You had to get to that well some, some way, somehow. Every day. 
That's got to be hard. That's, that's a rough life. Every day. And that's the way the Levitical law was. Every day. These things you had to follow. So the story of the Good Samaritan. You ever just blast those guys? The people who just walk by? And you go, oh my gosh, why would you do that? How could you, how could you just walk by? How could you, why? But if you understand the Levitical law, you go, I kind of see your point. Because it says the Levite walks by, right? He crosses the road, he's like, ooh, that's that dirty. But if you're in his mind, because he's coming from Jerusalem, right? And what, he sees the guy on the side of the road, and he's like, oh, I can't touch that guy. Because why? If he touches that guy, he's unclean. And what happens when he's unclean? He's got to turn around and hike all the way back to Jerusalem, buy an unblemished animal, a sheep, a turtle dove, something. He's got to spend hard-earned money to have a sacrifice to confess because he touched somebody. So you see why he walked by then? But see, we don't, we don't have to do that, right? Because in, in Sunday mornings, we're going through 1 John. And in 1 John, it's, it's all about abiding in him. And you know what? Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And so when Jesus tells the woman at the well, I have something that you will never thirst again. You will never be thirsty again. So you're still in John, right? I hope so, because I turned away from John. John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. This is Jesus on the cross. After this, Jesus knowing all knowing that all was now finished. He said to fulfill the scripture because Jesus fulfills the law, right? Jesus fulfills all that law in, from Moses. It says, I thirst and a jar of sour wine stood there. So they put on a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch. Where does hyssop show up in the scriptures? Passover, right? They were supposed to take a lamb and take the hyssop and dip it in the blood and put it over the door so that the angel of death would pass over that door. So a hyssop branch. It also shows up in the Psalms where, where, where David says to purge me with your hyssop. Cleanse me with your blood. I find that kind of cool that on the cross they present Jesus with hyssop. And he held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Because you see with Melchizedek and all the priests and the, and the Levitical law, Jesus didn't erase the law. He completed it. He completed it. Because Jesus is enough. And if you're, if you're here today because life's not fair, I've, I mean, you've had those moments. Everyone's had those moments. I have those moments all the time. This is not fair. God, I'm doing what you've called me to do. But that's not, that's not how it works. It doesn't work with, I do this, this, and this. Therefore, God, you should give me the numbers to the Powerball. It, it, but it doesn't work that way. That's the way the Levitical law was. This, this, don't do that. This, this, and this. That's not how it works. But Jesus came and he completed the law. And when he says in John chapter 19, it is finished. There's no more striving. It's just abiding in him. 
right? And that, that point is, is what, what I talked about probably this past this summer when we talked about, um, when I talked about adoption. And when you're adopted in Christ, that, that adoption in Christ is immediate, is immediate. Do you know that Jesus is not in the line of David from his birth mother? Jesus is in the line of David from his earthly father, Joseph, who he has no genetic ties to. Through adoption, Jesus is tied to the line of David, which fulfills the law. But in that adoption process, it is immediate, never again. And in Jesus' time in Roman culture, I have four biological children, and in Roman culture, I could disown every single one of them. But my fifth one, Trey, in Roman culture, can't do it. Once adopted, you were always a son and daughter. Always. And that is the same in Scripture. That is the same for you and me. Once in Jesus' arms, you were always in his arms. Right? Always. So that is immediate. Adoption and justification is immediate. And then there's life. And we call that fancy nice word of sanctification. But in that process of sanctification, remind ourselves that Jesus is enough. Father, thank you for today. I, I marvel at how you, you took 66 books and you knit them together. And that your son is on every single page. And that he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the last high priest. There's no need for a temple because he is the temple. That Jesus, you are enough. You are enough. And I thank you for that. We ask all these things in your precious name.